following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. particular beauty of the scripture is that it's practical. It teaches a very profound mystical science of acquiring information for ourselves, not merely with the senses of our physical experience, but with the consciousness. Some people have called that consciousness soul, the ability to perceive and to understand. In our last lecture, we talked about the stages of meditation. The principles outlined such as in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which are also correlated within Buddhism, as well as Blavatsky's scripture, or her translation of it. More importantly, what we want to understand in this talk today is the spiritual path known as initiation. It is a path in which, by meditating, the consciousness develops its true potential. And is able to understand mysteries beyond the senses, beyond physical experience, beyond our common daily life. The name of this scripture is very compelling. The voice of the silence. The voice in the emptiness. In a state of serenity, we can perceive realities that are beyond mere physical sensation, but relate to higher states of being, divine realities, which we've been outlining and explaining throughout this course, especially in relation to this glyph of the Kabbalah, a map of being from more dense states of matter, energy, and perception to the most refined and subtle and spiritual above the divine. This is not verticality in space, it is levels of being, levels of experience. And so Bovatsky titled this scripture, The Voice of the Silence, which is an oxymoron, a paradox. How is it that one can perceive beyond the senses or hear a voice within the silence of the mind? How can a voice be still? These are senses that are not merely physical, but 
she elaborates, and what we'll elaborate today is this extended metaphor about sound. These represent levels of being, seven sounds, seven degrees of spiritual development mapped by these lower seven spheres of this glyph of the Jewish mystical tradition. So we'll talk about what this all means practically for us. In the path of initiation, which is the entrance into a higher state of being, a improved way of life, we learn to confront ourselves. What in our mind, in our daily life, is the progenitor of suffering? So that by understanding those causes, by looking and perceiving them, more importantly, understanding them, we learn to change. We study ourselves, the self, which truly in its full potential is a dynamic thing. It is a range. But we must understand a distinct difference in the self of matter and the self of spirit. The self of matter is everything we are familiar with now. Pride, anger, fear, resentment, impatience, greed, ambition, egotism. The self that wants to acquire, the desire for more, that is never happy. When getting our goal, we want more. It is an insatiable thirst. And really, according to Buddhism, desire is the root of all pain. This craving, this grasping at some type of external phenomenon or identity. But also aversion, wanting to run away. And not only craving an aversion, but ignorance. Not merely lacking book knowledge, but lacking real understanding of why we suffer and what we can do to change. We included an image here of St. George fighting a dragon because this is the dynamic that any practical meditator experiences for themselves where you have the divine, spiritual, pure consciousness which must go against the impurity of the mind. Anger, as I said, ego, defects, vices. And so... The beginning of initiation and the purpose of initiation, the spiritual path itself, is understanding this dynamic in this difference. What in the consciousness is free, is serene, is patient, is insightful, is compassionate. And it is that part of us that is still liberated and not conditioned by lower elements that must do a type of work, a type of transformation. Because part of us is trapped in these lower elements that we need to extract, like the genie from the bottle of Aladdin. That genie is the source of genius, real knowledge, real wisdom. The path itself is precisely purifying that which is impure, extracting the essence of what we are so that our full potential is radiant and expresses our real human purpose in life. 
The self of matter and the self of spirit can never meet. One of the twain must disappear. There is no place for both. Anger cannot mix with love. Real love. Hatred cannot mix with serenity. Purity cannot mix with the impure, with desire. Obviously, in the beginning, we are mixed because we have part of us that wants to develop and change, but we also have a lot of baggage. But if we want divinity to really express in our full state, it is essential that the impure must die, as represented by all the mythologies about death and resurrection. For the pure spirit to be born in us, the impure must die. Ere thy soul's mind can understand, the bud of personality must be crushed out. The worm of sense destroyed past resurrection. Thou canst not travel on the path before thou hast become the path itself. To understand what consciousness is requires that we suspend the personality, suspend the senses. And this is what meditation teaches, so that we can withdraw our focus within and see clearly the whole strata of our way of being, whether it's elevated above or layered. And that path cannot be traveled upon unless we live it. That is the mystery of initiation. So this path is leveled and layered. It is like a ladder. There are rungs. There are steps. And they pertain to different laws of the psyche. Probably the most beautiful depiction of this is found in the Tree of Life, the Kabbalah, which again, as I said, is a map of levels of being, states of consciousness. At the end of that path is what is known as the voice of the silence, which religion have called God, divinity, reality, truth. And obviously the names are not important. The experience is. Obviously, and as beginners, we learn to taste temporary states of that perception, not as a permanent quality of mind. And that's the difference between really developing practitioners and a master. In our level, we can, as beginners, can sense or experience a type of vacation. Or maybe we are meditating, we fall asleep, we enter those higher dimensions known as the dream states and perceive what is really there. And that is like a, a three-month visa, a quick trip to another country where we experience paradise. But then, once the causes and conditions are exhausted, we come back. Permanent residency in those levels, in those states, is precisely the purpose of initiation. So that we become conscious of all of that here and now in ourselves permanently, at will, not accidentally, but perfected. And we see figures like Jesus of Nazareth, Buddha, Moses, Krishna, prophets who manifested that perfectly in themselves. But it was acquired through patient work. They climbed the ladder of being, levels of being. And at every level, working on those imperfections so that at the end the soul is free. There is but one road to the path. At its very end alone, the voice of the silence can be heard. 
The ladder by which the candidate ascends is formed by a, of rungs of suffering and pain. These can be silenced only by the voice of virtue. This is very beautiful. In life, we suffer. It's fundamental that, by definition, we go through pain, but not willingly. We often just receive the sufferings of life without our desiring it. And that is really the first noble truth of Buddhism. And life is suffering. There is pain. In the path of initiation, one voluntarily takes it on. This is the, this is the difference between a lay person and a, and a practitioner. Instead of running away from pain, one faces it and takes responsibility of our own mistakes so that by understanding our own limitations and taking responsibility for them, we change. Or as Hamlet said, whether to snow from the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. Voluntary suffering. Those pains, as we see our own inadequacy and weakness, our own faults, is transformed by virtue. That real virtue is the reality of the soul. That which is not yet tarnished, dense, heavy, conflicted. And the voice of the silence warns about this type of practice because in this, one will face the reality of one's own mind. And it is not pleasant because we carry, even to use Freudian psychology, a subconsciousness, a part of us that we don't even know or even want to recognize. But our studies, we want to make the subconscious conscious to extract the soul from the abyss and to know by inverting that chasm we into a mountain of height, elevation, wisdom. So the beginning of the path requires real sincerity, which is why Bovatsky emphasized, Woe then to thee, disciple, if there is this one single vice thou hast not left behind, for then the latter will give way and overthrow thee. Its foot rests in the deep mire of thy sins and failings, and ere thou canst attempt to cross this wide abyss of matter, thou hast to lave thy feet in waters of renunciation. Obviously, as beginners, we have defects, ego, we have pride, elements of a negative type. But what she's emphasizing here is not that we have to be perfectly pure to enter this type of work. It means that we have to be sincere. Because there are people who take religion and spirituality and want to keep their desires, meaning the attachments to whatever type of mistake. And that's primarily the reason why many traditions have become corrupt. High ideal, but the unwillingness to actually live it. And that is the great drama that everyone of us has to face whenever we study any tradition or try to apply it. Because it is lofty. And the way to do it is by purity of the water, renouncing. Renouncing what I want, what I crave, what I demand, what I deserve. And give it entirely to divinity so that we serve, we give to others not for our benefit, but for humanity. 
spirituality that is not based on self, but other. That's how it's more practical. She elaborates a little bit, Blavatsky, on the scripture, but I included some images here that have some correlations a bit to some of the other traditions that can help give us some context. So I mentioned this tree of life, the Kabbalah, and I mentioned levels of being in terms of superior states and then inferior states, conscious ways of being and subconscious ways of being. I also included here an image of the, the tarot, which is very ancient and very beautiful. Each tarot card represents a drama, a conflict, a struggle, a solution to particular moments and parts in our spiritual development that we have to understand so that by looking at the numerology, the symbol, what it represents, we understand what we need to do practically. I included this twilight here because we see two jackals howling at a moon. You have a black jackal or a wolf and a white jackal or a wolf. Two pyramids, white and black. This is our dilemma. We have the pure self and the impure self. And they combat for primacy. And when anyone enters initiation, they really begin to discover that we have a big black wolf inside. A demon. A monster. But there's also, to talk about the positive parts of this card, a light. But when they mix, it's twilight, and the outcome is not certain. We don't know who will win. Really, that's the great drama of any mythology, whether from the Greeks and Romans, the story of Aeneas and the Aeneid, the Odyssey, the Egyptian story of Oros, his death and resurrection. Many myths teach about this battle between good and evil. It's inside. And therefore... We should analyze what we want before partaking of something that will be very demanding. Beware lest thou should set a foot still soiled upon the ladder's lowest rung. Woe unto him who dares pollute one rung with miry feet. The foul and viscous mud will dry, become tenacious, then glue his feet unto the spot. And like a bird caught in the wily fowler's lime, he will be stayed from further progress. His vices will take shape and drag him down. His sins will raise their voices as the jackals laugh and sob after the sun goes down. His thoughts become an army and bear him off a captive slave. Now, I don't cite this to discourage people, but in reality, this is our mind. You know, we have anger and resentment and parts of us that we hold true as our identity or that in a situation of our conflict, we just react. And that's one thing that we want to change, transform, so that our soul is not covered and caked with mud or keeps us stuck repeating the same problems, the same dramas, which is the meaning of samsara in Buddhism, the wheel of becoming, Baba Chakra, in which our state of being determines our life. But the potential to change is there. And it's emphasized in the scripture as well as every religion. Just it depends on what we want to achieve and what we want to work for. So kind of going now into the actual path itself, we talk about the seven sounds, which is a metaphor for many things. Seven spheres, Sephiroth are in the tree of life, as well as seven chakras. Chakras simply are 
vortices. They're called wheels in Sanskrit. means energy. So we know from Chinese medicine, especially Qigong, other types of practices like Tai Chi, that the physical body has its vital component, which we call in Hebrew, Yesod, the vital depth, vital body. It's a part of us that circulates energy, not physical, but psychic. And we know we have vital energy when we wake up in the morning. We get up from sleep, we rest eight hours, maybe nine or ten, depending. Um, but that vital you know, energy gives us life. It's a life force. And so there are these channels that run throughout the body called meridians. And there are literally thousands and hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of them. When they intersect, they form a wheel. It's like when two rivers join and then you get a whirlpool. So a chakra is just that. It's a vortice where two energy channels meet. There are literally thousands of them in our vital body, even in our astral body, mental body, whatever level of nature we're talking about. But more importantly for us, we talk about seven main ones, which is very famous within yoga, Hinduism. And those seven chakras are the main senses of the soul. So by working with certain practices, we can activate these energy centers because in most of us, they're asleep. I mean, they're folded or they're not blooming. They're not awake because there's no energy to spark them up or to wake them up. But we work with certain exercises to do that, to awaken them. We talk about a lot in our studies about the nature of the divine feminine, the Kundalini, which in re different religions has been given different names. In Christianity, it's known as the fire of Pentecost. Amongst the Hebrew Kabbalists, Shekinah. Amongst the Egyptians, Isis. Adonaya, Adonia. Many names for that intelligence of the divine, which can rise from the base of the spine, which is where it sleeps, up to the head. And in its journey upward, the chakras awaken because they have fire and fuel to activate them. Well, we know the methods. And in that way, when you're lifting that fiery serpent or that bronze serpent that Moses raised in the wilderness to heal the Israelites from their afflictions, it's the same symbol. We start to awaken those states of consciousness within meditation, but also in dreams. Seven sounds, seven chakras. And even we use certain mantras related to the seven chakras themselves. Different vowels. They relate to Muladhara at the base of the spine, Sadhisthana near the prostrate uterus, Manipura relating to the abdomen, Anahata relating to the heart, Vishuddha relating to the throat, Ajna relating to the third eye between the eyebrows, and Laodicea, or that's the church of Laodicea, but it's uh, Sahasrara. And that also correlates with the book of Revelation as the seven churches really, in us. So, in this path, we want to awaken that energy to take it upward so that we awaken and give strength to the consciousness so that the consciousness can work because we often waste a lot of energy in life. But if we learn to save it physically, mentally, emotionally, energetically, psychically, we have the reservoir in order to awaken the fire, the energy. So, Blavatsky emphasizes and synthesizes all of this, that this slow ascent of this fiery serpent must go upward to awaken all our senses in order to merge us with the truth. 
Let not thy heaven-born merge in the sea of Maya, illusion. Break from the universal parent, soul, divinity. But let the fiery power retire into the innermost, inmost chamber, the chamber of the heart and the abode of the world's mother. This is the divine feminine, such as we see with in Hinduism, sometimes Durga, sometimes Kali, a divine goddess who is our one part of our inner divinity itself, truth, the divine feminine. But then that energy must go further. Then from the heart, that power shall rise into the sixth, the middle region, the place between thine eyes, when it becomes the breath of the one soul, the voice which filleth all, thy master's voice. Tis only then thou canst become a walker of the sky, who treads the winds above the waves, whose steps touches not the waters. It's a very abstract language. So when those energy centers are awakened, we learn to connect with our inner master, our inner divinity, our inner spirit. And in that way, we become a walker of the sky. I don't know if a lot of you have ever had lucid dreams where you're flying, traveling places, seeing things. You know, that's uh, one definition because this energy awakens those, that potential. And you literally walk the waters, which are the energies that we carry within in all the levels of our constitution. So let's actually dive into some of the deeper significance of these seven sounds. We included the tree of life here and the crucified Christ, as well as his seven utterances related to his crucifixion, the cross. So these seven sounds relate to seven initiations, seven levels of being. And each of his utterances can be a code for that level of development. So we talk about these lower seven spheres. We have his seven statements. Related to Malkut, our physical body. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We have Yasad, relating to I thirst. We have Hod, the emotions, the astral body. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Relating to the heart. I thirst relates to Yasad, which is the vital energies, as I said. And we'll, go, we'll unpack this in more detail. It's very intricate, interesting and intricate. Netzach, relating to the mind. Amen, I say unto you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Relating to Tiferet of, the, of the, our willpower, which also can relate to our heart. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Relating to Geburah, which is the strength of the divine soul. Relating to divine justice. It is finished. And lastly, Chesed, the spirit, Atman in some religions, our inner divinity. Father, unto thy hands I come in my spirit. So the point of this is that in the life of Christ, he was depicting stages of spiritual development and initiation that we can follow. Now, some of this may be very, you know, elevated in the terms of, you know, raising what is known as kundalini within these lower spheres, which are also not only just states of being, but also bodies in different dimensions. You know, when you dream, you travel with what Blavatsky called the Kama Rupa, body of desires or astral body, you know. We travel with that whenever we dream. But there are other states of consciousness in those states that relate to different, level, different levels. And so we want to, in these studies, take that fire of the divine feminine, raise it within all those bodies, within all those spheres. And the way to do that is mapped here. But while we may not be at that level, I will emphasize some of the psychological components of these principles because they do relate to how we become you know, practitioners, 
How do we live it? The voice of the silence emphasizes these seven steps in different ways, in accordance with the seven sounds, which is a metaphor, or better said, an extended metaphor. Before thou sets thy foot upon the up, lighter's upper rung, the lighter of the mystic sounds, thou hast to hear thy vo- the voice of thy inner God in seven manners. The first is like the nightingale's sweet voice chanting a song of parting to its mate. The second comes as the sound of a silver symbol of the Dianis, awakening the twinkling stars. The next is as the plaint melodious of the ocean sprite imprisoned in its shell. And this is followed by the chant of Vina. The fifth, like sound of bamboo flute, trills in thine ear. It changes next into a trumpet blast. The last vibrates like the dull rumbling of a thunder cloud. The seventh swallows all the other sounds. They die and that are heard no more. Let's talk about the first level relating to Malkut, just our physical body. The first is like the nightingale's sweet voice chanting a song of parting to its mate. We can say this relates to the first utterance of Christ. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In our physical life, when we enter initiation, we suffer. We, in the necessary work of confronting ourselves, what we call karma kicks in. I talked about voluntary suffering in the sense that an initiate takes on challenges willingly so that by facing hard situations, the worst is provoked in us. And we are forced to confront the reality of our own negativity. Pain, anger, defects that we may assume we don't have, but by looking and watching those moments, those critical instances, we do. And in this way, we realize that because we are so flawed, that other people are in the same boat. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. By understanding that we in ourselves have elements that we don't typically control in a critical instance, we also learn to have forgiveness for others. We see that people are flawed. People are sick with anger and defect and vices, and we can't judge them. In a sense, they don't know what they do. They haven't been taught. They don't know how to control themselves. This verse is very deep too. There are levels to this. So I explained some of the psychological components, but also relating to these seven degrees, we can talk about seven spheres in which we raise Kundalini up each body. There's also levels of initiation that are very high connected to this too, relating to serpents of light, which is a whole other level. If you're familiar with uh, what's called the Venustic initiations, In the book of Matthew, when Christ was crucified, you had the soldiers who were gambling and betting over his vestures, wanting to acquire his garments because he was a bit of a celebrity. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the prophet by the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots from Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. And in a a sense, this pertains to a level of a master in which, such as like Jesus or Buddha, Krishna, in which they've reached such heights of development and they approach their death. And then suddenly you have the followers fighting amongst themselves. Who will now wear the vesture of Jesus? 
who will now be the authority of the movement? Who will now be the next patriarch of the Gnostic church? You find this infighting even in the Gnostic movement. People casting lots, trying to claim spiritual authority. And this is all pride. It has nothing to do with spirituality. But it happens in every movement. It happened even with our founder, Samal and Vior, with his students and disciples, trying to gain ownership of a lineage or tradition. And this is why in our studies, we are very specific. We do not follow lineages. We follow our inner divinity. And we verify things for ourselves. People do not need to claim allegiance to any group. Whatever group people follow, that's good. If it helps, great. Personally, it doesn't matter to me so much. What matters is that we're working to forgive. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. And that's also a danger in the spiritual work itself is initiatic pride because we see that we're having spiritual experiences like in dreams or meditation and then we build a sense like, I know what I'm talking about or this pride that says, I know about these truths. And that's a wrong attitude too. Pride can exist with divinity. It has to be eliminated. The spirit and the self of matter cannot mix. But that vesture, you know, symbolically speaking, is not only just like a, the clothes we wear to impress people, but also spiritually relate to what is called uh, the bodies of the soul, which I kind of touched upon. Those vehicles of a being like Jesus are very pure. They have a lot of light. They transmit the light of the divine. And that's why they have a lot of power in their teaching and their, in their instruction or in their, their life. It's a strange dynamic. People are attracted to the spiritual light of a master, of an initiate, of a, of a religion. And yet they're also repulsed by it. It's a weird thing. Because the pure recognizes this is divine. And the impure says, this, I don't want to change. I don't want to die. And fights, resists. This is, this is somewhat related in the Gnostic Bible, which is the Pisces Sophia. In which Jesus of Nazareth relates to how all the beings in the different levels of nature, the tree of life, different dimensions, are agitated by the light because it is so intense and profound. And all the rulers and all those who are in the fate were thrown into agitation and fell on one another and were in exceeding great fear on seeing the great light that was about me. And they gazed on my vesture of light and saw the mystery of their name on my vesture and fell into still greater agitation. And they were in great fear, saying... How hath the Lord of the universe passed through us without our knowing? And all the bonds of their regions and of their orders and of their houses were unloosed. They all came at once, fell down, adored before me, and sang praises altogether to the interiors of the interiors, being in great fear and great agitation. Very beautiful, you know? I mean, literally, personally, you know, when I've met certain masters, what has been truly humbling and alarming is the intensity of their being, their expression, their, their insight. And that's how really any, really in terms of a prophethood or any person feels before those hierarchies, those levels. So people want light, but also it's important that we eliminate the darkness so that we gain in our own interior of interiors, that light for ourselves. 
This is why it's emphasized in the Psalms, chapter 22, verses 16 to 18, reiterating all these points about attachment to power and pride and authority. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Dogs, right? Again, going back to the image of the jackal, twilight, the card. Very beautiful. The second comes as the sound of a silver symbol of the Dianis awakening the twinkling stars. This relates to Yasod, which is our vital body, but also relates to what is known as the sexual energy, the creative energy, the energy of life. We have here an image of Jesus talking to uh, the woman at the well. In that parable, she asked about acquiring the kingdom of heaven. What do I need to do? That well is a symbol. The body is the earth, the well. And our sexual energy or waters is the waters of life, the waters of renunciation. Because initiates learn to take that power and rather than create a physical child, by conserving and elevating it through certain ritual and practice, purifies the psyche. It's also why Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, turning water into wine. Because a married couple can harness that power in a matrimony and make it sacred. So this relates to Yasod, and that the Dhyanis, relating to Dhyana, means meditation in Sanskrit, to perceive. And this awakens the twinkling stars. Really, the stars are a symbol in the dream state of spiritual elevation, higher levels of being, wisdom, clear clarity of mind. In this verse, Christ was saying, I thirst when he was on the cross. Very deep symbol. All of us, as we're striving to work to uh, transform desire and lust in reality, the mind thirsts and craves, right? The passions that are we're trying to understand and eliminate, fight like the jackal, want to be fed. And also the soul thirsts for divinity. And this is accomplished through the work of the creative <coughs> energies. So all these symbols in the Bible relating to water relate to how by working with that force, we can transform our mind. In the book of John, chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, states, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That water is in us. It's our creative force. And there's a way to transform the energy and make it divine. It is living water because from the living waters come all of us, our body. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. We all know about birth through physical means. But the, the act of a divine matrimony between husband and wife, those waters can learn to give birth to something different. Not merely through passion and desire, but through something else. And Christ, in a sense, is synonymous as an energy with that life force, which can give life to our soul. For this cause have I said unto you, I am come to cast fire on the earth, that is, I am come to purify the sins of the world with fire. And in a way, 
in our sexual waters is fire. Obviously, when a couple's together, impassioned with the fires of love, the fire is in the water, in the energies, and it stimulates all of the body and the psyche. Stimulates the consciousness. But it depends how we use it. What will we do? That fire can purify. That water can cleanse. When the energy is pure, transformed. So he elaborates a little bit on the Samaritan woman at the well. And how he tries to explain to her that, really, if you wish to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be born again, in a sense. That birth, spiritually, is a sexual trope. Which, you know, relates to how we take the force of life from the well of our body and learn to use it for the spirit. And for this cause have I said unto the Samaritan woman, If thou knewest of the gift of God and who it is who saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst ask, and it would give thee living water. And there would be in thee a spring which welleth up for everlasting life. For this cause I took also a cup of wine, blessed it and gave it unto you, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which will be poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. A lot of symbols here. Talking about spiritual birth, sexuality, also the Eucharist and the Christian faith, the transubstantiation. And that transubstantiation is a symbol of how, really, we transform our body into the spirit. We take that which is carnal and passionate and make it pure and divine. Desire becomes love. It is alchemy. The transformation of the base lead of our personality into the gold of spirit. These are all symbols of the same thing. And rather than thirsting for the next sensations or pleasure or desires, one can thirst for the spirit. But it depends on what we want. And also our situation, you know, if we're married or not, it's another thing. Water into wine. The cup of wine. The waters of life that give intoxication to the spirit. Because that energy, when it's harnessed for the spirit, is what increases the intoxication of the soul. Those mystical, beautiful states we talked about. And that relates to this second sound, relating to Yasad. And for this cause, they have also thrust the spear into my side, and there came forth water and blood. And these are the mysteries of the light which forgives sins. That is to say, these are the namings of the names of the light. From the Gnostic Bible, the Pisces Sophia. Those waters of renunciation are precisely what purify the psyche. And obviously, this is a very deep topic. We can relate to some sources if you're interested in knowing about the perfect matrimony. But we synthesize it here briefly and touch upon it. The next is as the plaint melodious of the ocean sprite imprisoned in its shell. We see Christ looking up, crying, Eli, Eli, lama sabnachani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Anyone who enters the spiritual path feels abandoned at some point. Because we have moments in our life in which we are tested and tried to see what we want. What will we do in a crisis? What will we do in a challenge? So that verse is very interesting. It's like a melodious sound of the ocean sprite trapped in its shell. That's really how all of us will feel when we're, you know, trying to change. And we see that we're making our efforts to radically improve our life. And yet we face challenges and feel that we've been abandoned. 
And that's really the, the cry of any initiate on the cross who is working diligently in this science, who feels that I'm showing good faith and will and practice, and yet I feel stuck. And this is a normal step. And it relates to Hod, the emotions, the astral body, the heart, because that pain is in the heart, the feeling of I've been left alone. But in reality, we're not left alone. It just is a test in which divinity extracts or withdraws to see what will we do? Will we have faith? And it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over. Inri, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Iudiotum, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And Inri is a beautiful acrostic, meaning Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, but also Inetis Renascor Integer, in death I am reborn intact and pure. So he lived with his body, a spiritual drama that we all face, whether we will, you know, overcome our pain by eliminating our own defects and therefore resurrecting as a soul, meaning the soul is born. And when the sixth hour was come and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eli, lama sabnachani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he calls Elias, Elias or Eli, Helios in Greek, meaning the son. And Christ is often related as the son of God or the son of the divine, meaning S-O-N, but also S-U-N, the light of divinity, the truth. Six to the ninth hour, there is darkness. And if you study numerology in Kabbalah, six plus nine is 15. And 15 is the devil, the temptation, where we are on our cross feeling pain and say, what will I do? Will I overcome my own inner devil, my own faults? But with patience possess ye your souls. In this fourth step, we find the crucifixion of Christ by the two thieves. And this is followed by the chant of Vina from the voice of the silence. This relates to Netzach, the mind. Vina is an interesting Hindu or, you know, Eastern instrument. It's like a kind of like a guitar, almost like a sitar, which pronounces certain vibrations that can help with, you know, often with meditation, especially. You find it in a lot of Hindu music. And what's interesting is that this is related to the chant of Vina is that it's a vibration or sound that helps with concentration of the mind. And in the path of initiation, we want to learn how to control the mind. The mind is a thief in its real essence. Um, the mind, in a lot of us, steals attention. Sometimes we steal attention. We steal not just physical things or money, but energy, desire, focus, other people's reputation, other people's work. The mind, which calculates and wants for itself, is a thief. But we also have a good thief, so because the thieves that represent something side by side by any initiate, there is the soul that knows how to steal the fire from the devil, meaning the energies of our life force, rather than giving into passion and desire, we take it and give it to the spirit. We transform it. That is the good thief. The bad thief states, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. 
The good thief replies, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. So the bad thief is that desire that says, I deserve this, I shouldn't suffer. This is, this is my fate that came to me without my will. I don't deserve this. We all do this. We all have this, you know, innate desire that says, I don't deserve this. We're like Pilate, want to wash our hands clean, right? Or Caiaphas, the high priest, who feels justified in tradition and beliefs and wants to, and then in, in the turn, crucifies Christ in the heart. And Judas, who is an apostle, who loves God, as a symbol represents anyone who loves religion, but loves desire more. Silver, coins, desire, passion, money. We all have this inside, and that's the thief that steals the energies of divinity. But we want to steal the fire from the, our own inner demon, right? And that's why Jesus says, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. Because if we conquer our mind, really we make great advancements. Because the mind is an obstacle. And especially if you study meditation, you've tried it, you see the mind wanders, goes from thing to thing. It's like a thief that steals our energy and time because we're not focused. That's the principle of this level of spiritual work. The fifth, like the sound of bamboo flute trills in thine ear. We call this, this is related to uh, Tifereth, which is our willpower. Our willpower needs to be liberated. Thy will be done, not mine. Our will needs to follow divine will. But we obviously have that autonomy and freedom so that we can prove our caliber because divinity is not a tyrant. Why like a bamboo flute? This sound, this level, this initiation, this specific moment in the path. Bamboo is a reed and the reed is a spinal column. And in our spinal column, we have seven notes, seven chakras, that wood is hollowed out like a channel so that the energies can rise up the spine. And when that energy rises up our spine, we play divine music. Our ways of being are more elevated. This verse, or this moment relates to when Christ speaks to John and the Virgin Mary to become family and to leave him. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. What's very interesting is that the Virgin Mary represents again this divine feminine, the divine mother, Kundalini. And John can represent the pure soul. That is really the purest parts of Christ. Parts of our soul, which, you know, in us is undeveloped here in Malkut. In our body. Behold thy son and behold thy mother. Become family. The divine mother really should be united with John, which is divine, the divine verb, compassion in us. These are principles that relate to our psyche and our development, not merely just historical figures in terms of scripture. But that path, obviously, when we perfect our willpower, we submit to the will of God. 
Khalil Gibran mentioned in the Prophet, he's a famous poet, how in the work of perfecting our will, we face pain in a sense that that voluntary suffering is necessary in order to be able to play the melodies of the soul, the purity of the consciousness, the divine. Your joy is your sorrow unmasked, and the self-same well from which your laughter rises was often filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? It is not the lute that soothes your spirit, the very wood that was hollowed out with knives. So Christ is dying on the cross, and he says to the Virgin Mary, Behold thy son, mother, and son, behold thy mother. In a sense, it is a form of radical acceptance that he will die, or in this path, our identity will die. And therefore, what is left is the divine feminine and the verb, John, the truth. who That voice, again, that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John is the verb. His name even is a mantra. His seven letters, Johannes, E-E-O-U-A-N-S, which we talk about as seven vowels, seven sounds that relate to the spine. Because those are the mantras that relate to the Chakras that awaken them. So through willpower, by working with the seven sounds in John as a symbol, we learn to perfect our will. But there's a few more. It changes next into a trumpet blast. It's interesting. The trumpet, as the sound, relates to Geburah. And astrologically, Geburah, which is divine justice, relates to Mars. This could explain a little bit of why... Uh, Wagner in his opera is like the ring cycle, such as the Die Valkyria, which is the famous, uh, you know, the famous motif he plays a lot from that opera. Which is the march of the, the warrior woman who are fighting in the way of God, of Wotan, which is the divine. Wagner knew this, uh, these teachings. And so the trumpet is a very Martian sound that relates to the justice of the spirit, very militant, but not militant in the physical sense, but spiritually, a spiritual warrior. In this way, in this level of this path, we face the severity of divinity. We face sufferings. And it is like a trumpet because it is, you know, calling the soul to a spiritual war. It's also at this point when Jesus received vinegar. So they gave a reed, again, another symbol of the spine, and a sponge full of vinegar. He says, I thirst. They give him the sponge. And then obviously, if you're familiar with the story, he's very bitter and painful. That's a symbol of when we're working with our energies of our spine, that we face bitterness. It's painful. It's painful to change because we have a lot of karma, a lot of maybe debts and defects. Also, the symbol of Golgotha, as you see, Golgotha means place of the skull. So it's all these symbols relating to initiation, like the reed of the spine, Golgotha is the skull. And we're trying to raise the fire, the energies of the divine feminine up the spine to the head, to the place of the Golgotha. But it's a bitter process. And when they come, we're coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. 
and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So that finality is when we pay, according to Buddhist language, karma. We have past debts and deeds we've performed that need to be fulfilled. We receive the actions and consequences of our former actions. And it's like vinegar. Because as good as we are in this life and what we're doing, we still have to face the, the bitterness of our own mistakes. And therefore he says it is finished. The last vibrates like the dull rumbling of a thunder cloud. The seventh swallows all the other sounds. They die and then are heard no more. So this is when Christ said, or when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He died. In this level of said the spirit, in order to have perfect union, all the impure psyche needs to die. It's like a thunder, thunder, lightning. And in dreams, really, thunder and lightning is a symbol of the Son of Man. The Son of Man cometh with clouds. You know, the lightning is a symbol of Christ, the energy of the divine, who strikes the soul or enters the soul when the soul is prepared. But no ego, no defect must be left. The soul must be pure. And that sound swallows the, all the others because it is finished. The work is done. One has achieved the goal of initiation. When the six are slain and the, at the master's feet are laid, then is the pupil merged into the one and becomes that one and lives therein. Before that path is entered, thou must destroy thy lunar body, Kamarupa, related to the astral vehicle. Cleanse thy mind body, known as the inferior manas in theosophy, and may clean thy heart. In this way, really uh, one becomes a master. And obviously it's a very elevated, gradual progress and path. But the way that we overcome it is by understanding, we can say, five impediments to kind of synthesize some of the things we already talked about. Thou art acquainted with the five impediments, O blessed one. The knowledge of misery, truth about human frailty, oppressive restraints like egotism and desire, and the absolute necessity of separation from all the ties of passion and even of desires. The path of salvation is the last one, which is the actual steps of the path mentioned in the, all religions in different forms. Now, at this point, one is no longer a, a student, but one is a master. Thou art their conqueror, the master of the sixth, deliverer of the four modes of truth, the four noble truths. The light that falls upon them shines from thyself, O thou who was disciple, what our teacher now. And really, we have to say that the real teacher and any master is the, the being, divinity, not the personality, not the name or the face or the race or the culture or the language. It's the being. So... Divinity is the real teacher of any student or especially within oneself. And lastly, at the end of this section of the Voice of the Silence, they emphasize, Behold, thou hast become the light, thou hast become the sound, thou art thy master and thy God. Thou art thyself the object of thy search, the voice unbroken, that resounds throughout eternities, exempt from change, from sin exempt, the seven sounds in one, the Voice of the Silence, the mantra, Om Tat Sat. So that, you know, again, this is an extended metaphor. Obviously, not merely just a sound that one hears, but a symbol of states of being, the verb, the consciousness. 
because the sound really is an expression of our internal psycho psychological content. When we speak, our mind, our what we are, our state is what communicates through sound. And likewise, with the level of divinity, we have perfection. So in this work, the whole point of initiation is that we return to divinity and that we reach that state of being that is not mixed or changes with time, but is eternal. But it doesn't mean it's a static state. It's just something that is an infinite quality that keeps, you know, has infinite potential and levels. So at this point in time, uh, if you have any questions, I invite you to ask. Sure. So when we had the image of the tree of life, Kabbalah up there, the different phrases of Jesus that he uttered, how is it that the misinterpreted phrase, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? Which clearly does relate with the heart, as you mentioned. How is that also to be interpreted as being the original Mayan, as Master Samael says, now my father, I now merge myself into the pre-dawn of your presence. So, it's interesting, though. His words that are often translated from Hebrew have a Mayan origin. Eli Eli Lama Samnachani, which in Mayan means I return into the golden dawn of your presence. Some people have mentioned that during the undocumented years of Christ throughout the Middle East, and throughout, he traveled many places and had knowledge of even the Mayan cultures and mysteries, because be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The feathered serpent, Quetzalcoatl, amongst the Aztecs, or Kukulkan among the Mayans. And a lot of the Mayan mythology can be used to describe what Christ taught. So we say that he spoke Mayan, because that phrase is a Mayan term. Now, obviously amongst the Jews, it was translated as, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there is that level of application. But in the opposite, there is, my father into the dawn of your internal presence, I return. And those two interpretations reflect kind of the quality of the practitioner, the state of mind. One is in. A lot of times we feel abandoned. Maybe we feel abandoned or, you know, why have you forsaken me? But there are initiates who have a lot of faith. You know, they may be suffering the maximum, but they know that this is a necessary process. And so they are patient. My father, I will return to the golden dawn, meaning one will succeed. But it depends on our mind, right? I know the tendency for most most people is to, or most of us, is to get maybe dejected if we don't get the results that we want. But the attitude, the proper attitude is, this is a necessary probation to see whether or not I will qualify. So that's the dichotomy between the two, the two parallels, if I answered that correctly. Or addressed it. Yeah. Would it still be related with Hod, that phrase? Yeah, because um, it relates to Hod because really, astrologically speaking, Hod relates to the moon. And that moon is our own mind, meaning our own desires, better said. The moon relates to emotion, the lunar sphere. And we say that the moon is a symbol of the mechanicity of life. 
We know that the moon controls many elements in nature, gestation, pregnancy, or, you know, menstruation as well for a woman, as well as uh, the tides. Our earth is very much bound to the moon. And it's a symbol of our own mechanicity, the habits and desires we constantly fulfill and enact all the time, and which keep us trapped. We say that in the astral dimension, it has a lunar quality because for most of us, because we have desire, we go to the inferior astral state because there's two levels of the astral dimension, lunar astral, solar astral, because these dimensions have a polarity. There's good and there's bad. There's positive and negative. The lunar astral is where we tend to dream most of the time. And in fact, Dante called it limbo, first fear of hell. We tend to go there when we dream because that's our level of being. But if we are working to change our state of mind, we can perceive this solar astral dimension, which is where only divine beings go. It's still an astral state, but it's not polarized within ego, kama, desire, rupa, the astral body. So that's the duality between the two phrases. My God, why have you forsaken me? It's suffering under the moon, right? The karma. Whereas the solar aspect of that sphere of hod, we can say, I return into the golden dawn of your presence. But how we go to those states depends on our level of being. Sure. Example with Christ on the cross, with the good thief and the bad thief. Um, did the bad thief end up in the same place spiritually, even though he had different insights? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the Bible has got some ambiguous parts, right? There's some things that are just not explained, and that's kind of the hard part with interpretation too, right? Um, I think in the literal narrative, I mean. He doesn't say whether he goes to heaven or hell. I mean, it's implied that he's a bad he's a bad thief. And I think, don't quote me, but I'm not sure with Catholic theology what they would say about, you know, obviously where the bad thief would go because of his selfish actions. But we know the good thief, obviously, from Christ's utterance that, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. Meaning, when our mind is no longer lunar, mechanical, a bad thief. We transform our our mind from a lunar vehicle to something solar and pure, meaning spiritual. That's a mind that can go into heaven, you know, because you cannot pour new wine into old wineskins, in a sense, parabolically, right? It's like, if you want to have this kind of spiritual insight, we have to transform what we are into something different. You need a new flask, a new mind that can really receive those spiritual truths from our inner divinity. Not just not from a lecture or not from a book, but from our experience. Because the mind can be, you know, and us is habitual, conflicted, is a bad thief. But we strictly state that the bad thief does not go to heaven because it doesn't belong there. The bad thief is our desires that relate to these inferior spheres, which is called klipot in Hebrew which is the infernal worlds. It's hell. The way that our mind is now. You look at society, you know, our mind creates the society that we live in. It's a place of suffering. So, if we want to go to heaven, you know, we have to get rid of the garbage and create a new mind. This is kind of the parallel, this is kind of the symbol of a, 
even the Wizard of Oz story. The Scarecrow needs a new mind. You know? Uh, Carlos Collodi. No, it wasn't Carlos Collodi. It was, uh, I don't remember the author who wrote the actual books, but he encoded in that folktale. You need a new heart. Tin Man. Hod. You need a new mind. Netzach. Scarecrow. You need courage. New will. The lion. Children's story, but it's got a deep myth to it. Right? But, yeah. In synthesis, the bad thief cannot go to heaven. Only the good thief. Steal the fire from the devil. Devil has no power. Go up. Yeah, you, you mentioned in there about the wine and the blood. Um, and I remember in, in the scriptures it says, uh, drink of this wine, for this is my blood. And uh, I have a couple of questions. Uh, two, actually. Uh, the, the blood is drinking from a chalice. Is that the Holy Grail? And then the other question is, isn't drinking blood satanic? Symbols. So why do they have it in the Bible? And why do the Catholics and the Orthodox always drink the blood of... I, I, whenever, I, whenever I go to communion, I'm like, this is a satanic ritual. Why am I taking part of this? It's a, in my mind. It's a symbol. You know? It's a symbol. So do we actually are supposed to drink blood? Is that it? No. No. But it's a symbol of uh, something higher. Oh. You know, people interpret, people interpret it literally. It's like... You, may, you come into absurdities. But symbolically, the blood of Christ is the Christic energy. Uh, you know, we have the energy in our blood. You know, it circulates in our body, especially when we're, you know, if we're married and aroused, the fire is activated. But will we turn that blood into the wine of Christ? Meaning, you know, the blood activates the sexual energy with the, you know, in the couple. And doesn't mean that that symbol means, you know, drink the blood of Christ. I mean, it's a symbol of in taking the, the energies from the act itself. Transform a base substance into something pure. Transform the lead of the personality into the gold of the spirit. It's alchemy. And that's the Holy Grail. And the Holy Grail is the woman. The Holy Grail is the sexual organs of the woman. The spear that pierced the side of Jesus is the phallus. Those two symbols are present at the crucifixion of Christ. Because a man and a woman, if they know how to work together and be pure, transform it, their act into the sacrament of Rome, amore. You transform literally the energies in your body, which is like blood, into the light. Water into wine. It's energy. It's not literal. You don't... Right. It's the energy, right? You circulate it. And it's like your soul consumes the forces that you... You first conserve, but then transform. And that gives you power. That makes a, that gives the power of a real priest. Because the power of a real priest, uh, coming from the Indo-European word, magush, magushan, magician, a mage, is a real priest. A real priest has power. And that power is when they're saving their energies and elevating them. We don't preach abstinence. Obviously, that's a whole other thing, you know, but how do you not only conserve the energies, but transform it? That's the thing. But um, 
Yeah, and then really those rituals like in Eucharist or communion, really those rituals will have power if the priests are, you know, they have the energies present and they're circulating and working with it daily. You know, but unfortunately we know a lot of priests in our modern era don't know anything about these mysteries. You know, they don't respect or work with the Divine Mother, the creative force. Yeah, not literal. So going back to desires, being with suffering, right? Is it possible to have desires to accumulate for the benefit, right, to serve humanity? Like you're amassing it so you can become someone who's stable enough to serve. Yeah, I, yeah. A righteous, you know, form of accumulation. Oh, yeah. Is it possible? Yeah, it's easy to uh, develop good egos, mm-hmm. you know? Honestly, it's like in the beginning of our path, we try to eliminate the bad, you know, anger, pride, resentment, fear, lust. But as we're, you know, really working in a spiritual tradition, what happens is that our own desires take on the flavor of the mystical. And that's where a big problem occurs. You know, the desire for like, oh, because I'm teaching this kind of science or helping other people understand it, feel pride. And it's wrong. But... In a sense, one can still be doing good. You know, it's a, yeah, the, you know, we have good egos, good defects in a sense, you know, but they're still not God. You know, we can have a sense of charity and kindness and giving, but still is, uh, it's still there. Maybe not deep down in these lower depths, but it's still on the surface of limbo, you know, but then there are egos, defects we have that are like Caiaphas, a big priest but a demon, you know? It's like he's a priest, loves his tradition, loves his Judaism, or could be anyone from any religion that loves their faith and is, you know, could be doing great work for humanity, giving to others and serving the communities, but is a Pharisee. And we all have that. So the solution is don't stop doing those good things, you know, still do what you're doing, but observe. Is it my pride acting here? Is it my inner Pharisee? Does the does my mind want to impress others, or you know, what is the what does the mind want? And that's part of the delicate you know analysis of good thief, bad thief. Is like, are you gonna let the bad thief win? And the bad thief is really subtle. Our thief is very refined, and that's the most dangerous, because at that point. We see ourselves doing good for people and then we don't question. And so when someone comes to criticize us so that we know, hey, you're actually being pretty proud here, we get mad, we get offended, angry. And Caiaphas, you remember in the story, enraged. When Jesus said, I am the son of God, Caiaphas ripped his vesture because he was so offended. And that's a symbol of something inside of us. Because when the real Christ principle manifests in an initiate's deeds, the mind can't take it and rebels. And that's why the whole crucifixion happens and it's, it's an essential process. But yeah, let do not let your right left hand know what your right hand doeth. The left hand is symbolized, especially in the Middle Eastern tradition, the Quran, with the infidels, which are the egos, defects, vices, errors. The right hand path is the path of the saints. So if you do good, 
Yeah, well, you will do even better good when those egos are dead. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.